0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's release of the HashRate Happy Hour podcast. On today's show, I'm joined by Ryan McLeod, a laboratory technologist at the Canadian Nuclear Lab in Ontario, Canada. Our discussion today is focused on nuclear power, how nuclear generation is and will continue to benefit greatly from Bitcoin mining, and Ryan's views on what a grid system could look like with nuclear power and Bitcoin mining as the backbone of the electrical grid. This discussion is absolutely wild and a great look into the world of nuclear power and just how Bitcoin mining can be a powerful tool for this industry moving forward. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, the Texas Blockchain Council, a Bitcoin-first nonprofit industry organization working to make Texas the jurisdiction of choice for Bitcoin mining and blockchain innovation. They will be hosting North America's premier policy conference for Bitcoin and the digital asset ecosystem on November 15th through the 17th in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information, please visit their website at texasblockchaincouncil.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I have Ryan McLeod here with Canadian Nuclear Labs. Ryan, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Ben. I look forward to talking about some nuclear power and Bitcoin mining stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and cheers. By the way, we're uh, we are truly at a happy hour, um, which is fantastic.
1: Yes, and thanks. And yeah, of course, I have to do the disclaimer thing that although I do work for Canadian Nuclear Labs, I do not represent the company. I speak highly of them and their reputation. And uh, yeah, this is this is my own thing that I'm pursuing. My own time.
0: I I appreciate the disclaimer. I I was gonna ask. well, we'll get into your background too, um, but yeah, good. Good to get the disclaimer out right away. Appreciate that. Um, you were actually just here in my hometown in Minneapolis. What were you doing cruising around in Minneapolis?
1: I got permission from my senior management to visit
0: the North American
1: Young Generation in Nuclear Annual Conference because last year of well, two thousand twenty-one, they hosted this competition looking for. Ideas. It was called Innovation for Nuclear. They were looking for ideas to help nuclear power apply to the 21 UN Sustainable Development Goals. And, like, on face value, they're great goals. And I think that nuclear power has a great uh, standing to apply to many of those goals. And the idea that my team proposed was to uh, use Bitcoin mining as an anchor load to amplify the capabilities of nuclear power by just plugging up a few of the uh, economic liabilities that they suffer from by basically generating too much power when it's not needed. And then yeah, the uh, large upfront costs need to be spread out over as many customers as possible. So you use a customer that you can bring with you wherever you want and fill in, act as a placeholder wherever you need it until more sophisticated energy buyers enter the market. And the, the, uh, contest hosts like that idea and we won and we were given the honor of presenting it at the International Youth Nuclear Con- Congress in Japan last November and then when this uh, regional conference for the North American group came up I jumped on the opportunity to ask my superiors if I could go because I wanted to go and at least have some representation from my team there and meet with all the other awesome people within the nuclear industry and uh, see what I can about uh, yeah. dropping a few orange pills around the conference
0: <laughs> yeah oh cool um were you, so did you present at the the conference then
1: only at the international one
0: i didn't actually present at this one
1: although there was a presentation specific about bitcoin mining with nuclear power it was on what is being built at the susquehanna power plant in pennsylvania with uh the tara wolf and Talon energy and I think cumulus coin is the other company part of that project And the chief nuclear officer, uh, Brad Berryman, was presenting on the topic and he did a very good job describing the the build out and how the infrastructure came together and the, the employees that were kind of spearheading the project and how they have ambitions to make it grow bigger and to invite other large data center type facilities in there and really take advantage of having that large base load power right behind the meter for technologies they consume a lot of power, but also have the benefit of what the Bitcoin miners provide by that like large level
0: of flexibility. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I think we'll, we'll probably have to. I think we got to back up just just a little <laughs> yeah. bit here. Um, I think what we're going to need for 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 me in the audience is. Uh, Ryan, why don't you give us your background and and then what I love to to also kind of tie in because this is a show about bitcoin mining and energy um how did you how did you go from where you're at today to bitcoin mining with all of this
1: well the simple story is that I was in the right place at the right time when I started to figure out Bitcoin mining like I'm like my profession is as a chemical technologist, like nothing too fancy. Like I went to college, I learned how to operate chemical instrumentation. I worked a few jobs through my 20s and then eventually found my way to where I am now at Canadian Nuclear Labs, operating and maintaining the equipment that does um, the hydrogen and deuterium analysis for the can do pressure tube um, corrosion surveillance program. So essentially, the heavy water that's in the can-do pressure tubes will create hydride blisters inside the the tubes that the, the, the fuel channels sit within, and if they exceed a certain threshold, they become brittle and risk the potential of cracking and leaking the reactor cooling water into the moderator water, which is something that we prefer not happen. It's not anything catastrophic, but it makes a big mess, and it's time-consuming and costly to repair. So uh, about 40 years ago, an incident had happened, uh, similar to what I just described, and the lab that I have inherited about 10 years mm-hmm. ago was created, and they've been doing this analysis pretty much day in, day out for the last uh, 30-some years.
0: So I, I appreciate the the walkthrough through your background, Ryan. Um, you said you were in the right place at the right time. For bitcoin mining, maybe touch on that a little bit more. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I'm being in the industry. We get pretty
0: frequent updates
1: on the like the the status of of things going on throughout Canada and throughout the wider nuclear industry. Like interesting developments. So I was really paying attention to the development of small modular reactors. How Canada has this big SMR action plan where we're going to try to build first of a kind demonstration reactors of like six, seven, maybe eight new um, reactor types that are going to be in the range from either like five megawatts to 300 megawatts to deploy to a number of different applications that don't typically suit the large gigawatt scale reactor sizes. Because they need a large power base that's going to be cons- able to consume that amount of power, or it just does not make sense to build nuclear power at that scale. So um, I figured out, yeah, I, I came learning about Bitcoin. started to take it seriously in early 21. Like I had cashed out from an online poker site just a few hundred dollars sometime, I don't know, 18, 17, I don't know, a few years earlier. And I just kind of left it in a wallet and ignored it. And then in twenty one, when we had that really good run up in the early uh, like January and February, I started to take it seriously. When that few hundred dollars was worth now worth a few thousand dollars, and then from there, I just started consuming podcasts. I jumped right off oh, yeah. right off the deep end, and before I knew it, it was like Max Kaiser, Safety, Breedlove, Dallas. Like, why are we bullish? all the who's who of all the bitcoin podcasts so like luckily i steered myself in the right direction because i've heard all the stories of how easy it is to get distracted and i got yeah i got lucky and stayed pretty much on the straight and narrow and then when i heard about what upstream data was up to from uh, steve barber and atomo were in two podcasts pretty quickly together i started to piece together how awesome bitcoin mining is but then it didn't really click on me until a conversation with my wife when we were um, it was around the time that elon musk had it was the the downside so it wasn't when he was saying yes we're going to accept it for teslas it was like no i'm no longer going to accept it for teslas and then just okay big red candle and he was complaining about the um the types of energy that are used and yeah. it was actually my yeah. wife that was the one that put yeah. it out there it was like well why don't we mine Bitcoin with nuclear power? There's got to be somewhere out there doing that. And then I really started getting interested in that idea, idea, kind of obsessively looking for anywhere that it is or might be happening. And there was really nothing out there. There was like whisperings that there was like something going on at some Russian reactor that some operators got caught mining Bitcoin. And then shortly after that, the compass in Oaklow, deal kind of came together and then I don't know compass fell apart so that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down um and then yeah then I eventually i I got on Twitter around the time when it was the the conference in twenty one like because everyone talking about power and Bitcoin mining they had just this sad perspective of nuclear power there was like oh the nuclear power plants are shutting down it's got no future we're not gonna even go down that rabbit hole and then meanwhile from my perspective i'm like watching all this new development just start kind of like creeping up behind the scenes I'm like like this this is the way forward like nuclear is going to turn around in a big way and we're going to get momentum again and then the whole world's going to shift in our favor and want to get back on nuclear power and lo and behold it took a total energy crisis to kind of snap people back into focus but um yeah sometime around, that fall the sentiment around nuclear power started to come around like earlier in the summer was when that contest that i had mentioned was uh was first announced and then we presented in like september and it was all of these things just kept lining up perfectly it was conveniently at that time it was right at the top of the second the uh, peak of bitcoin so i had that momentum behind me and yeah it was just oh, a yeah. right place right time like i said and then i just I fell into this niche that was being underserved and now I'm the guy that talks about it a lot on podcasts and in the Twitter spaces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, that, that, that's awesome. I, and I, I did get a chance to, to listen to some of your first podcasts, like with Peter McCormick and, um, some of the other, the other podcasts that you'd done right around that time. Um, and those were phenomenal, uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You said that, you know, nuclear is starting to kind of turn back around and it is starting to get re-looked at. Um, maybe maybe say a little bit more about what you mean by that. Like, what are some of the things going on in the the world of nuclear? Just, I don't think that my audience is as plugged in as you are. So maybe give us the scoop on, like, what's going on in the nuclear world that it makes you say it's kind of turning around.
1: Yeah, well to to get there I'll I'll pull it back a few years and I'm sure everyone's familiar with with Chernobyl like there was a lot of momentum in the nuclear industry getting ready to build reactors and then that happened and so that derailed a lot of momentum and then fast forward another 15 20 years in the early 2000s they were had a, the generation 3 reactors were starting to be ready to to be deployed but then there was other like issues we were were starting to get more into energy conservation so there wasn't as much like power needs and it was unpredictable and uncertain on what the future demands for power were so there was a lot of these proposed projects that just kind of got caught in limbo and politics would shift and there was a lot more um, a lot more stress on going towards wind and solar types of power sources and even though there was still things happening in the nuclear industry and there there were some countries ready to build the next generation of reactors then fukushima happened and like although both of these accidents had like very little casualties and the the severity of the situation was greatly exaggerated because of the nature of radiation and everyone has basically been programmed to Hear radiation and and think that it's terrifying, but like we're exposed to radiation constantly. There's radiation right now. If you had a banana, you're yeah. exposed to potassium forty. That's radi- radiative. radioactive. You go for your X-rays. You fly on planes. It's really not as scary as we've been led to believe. But it's just it's one of those things that you you learn how to handle it and you build mechanical like um, barriers and administrative barriers, and you just you learn how to work with it you put shielding up you um time distance and shielding is is the way that you protect yourself from radiation if you're going to be exposed to it you limit your time and you you make sure that you have shielding and that there's other administrative protocols that you ensure that you do not get exposed to more dose than you would otherwise and like even the people that work in the industry they barely come anywhere near their their regulatory limits on how much dosage that they will be exposed to and even during the accidents like some people got exposed to maybe maybe two
0: that's two to three
1: years worth of their what what a nuclear power worker would be exposed to like even at the extremes like it it sounds scary when you don't understand it like anything and that's why it, education is important on this topic and a lot of people don't get exposed to it cuz when nuclear nuclear power just kind of has a no news is good news kind of thing. So you don't hear about it much until it's in the news for something negative. And then that imprints itself really well in people's minds and then it, it carries forward until they hear about it again. But then the last thing they heard about it was that, oh, I heard that, yeah, that causes like deformations in the next generation. But based on a lot of the evidence that's available, like none of that is actually happening. That's, it's what we've seen happen in TV and movies and fantasy novels, but it's not in the real world. So,
0: yeah, they, they just, there was a, a Netflix, like th- there was like a, a Netflix docu series or documentary. I think it was about Chernobyl that was pretty aggressive on the fear mongering side of things. Um, I completely agree with you that, you know, the, the, the fear is much, much easier to hang on to. And people like to, to talk. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, all the, the negativity that you see on social media and stuff like that. So what, what was some of the stuff that's turning the industry around though? So you, you said that you're starting to see like the industry is, is coming back to life in a sense. You guys are looking at small modular reactors. Like what else is going on that is some of that positive stuff in in the space in the industry.
1: It just it seems we've got a new generation that's that that wants to ensure that the future is going to have reliable and abundant and affordable power that we can build anywhere and everywhere. I highly recommend that everybody that gets the opportunity to watch Oliver Stone's new documentary, Nuclear Now, like he did a really good job of of framing out the whole narrative from the discovery of radiation and fission like right up into through through the accidents and into like the promise of what we can do with this technology um, yeah so in the meantime what's been going on is is that many countries have decided that they want nuclear power as part of their future energy mix there's a strong push to eliminate hydrocarbons wherever we can from their burning them for power or or heat applications which is a substantial amount although there are still many different applications that petrochemicals are used for that have nothing to do with uh, uh, combustion power sources or uh, transportation yeah. so like we're still going to need them for many 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 years yeah. and then um yeah like there's just a such a strong push to displace them at least from the places that we can and power and heat are places that we can with new technologies in uh, nuclear power generation by using different coolant types and different fuel types. We can, we can build different size reactors. We have different um, like the, the safety concerns will be much minimized if we're building them in smaller units because they'll have smaller fuel loads. And they'll also be designed with a lot of different passive cooling techniques so that they, if they ever did lose cooling, similar to how what happened at Fukushima, they would automatically fail into a safe state. Instead of overheating themselves, they would be able to just use just the passive air cooling in order to bring themselves into a stable state. Um, there's still many countries building like large conventional reactors. I'm sure many people have heard about the United Arab Emirates just finished has almost completed a set of four reactors that will be a combined total of 5.2 gigawatts and provide about 25% of their entire power load for their country. Like they intend to use that a lot for Ooh. desalination. Um, there's already talks that they're having with uh, a joint venture wow. with Marathon Digital Holdings to build a 250 megawatt like, demonstration uh, Bitcoin mining site with opportunity to expand that as, the, uh, as they uh, see the opportunity grow. There's countries all throughout Africa that are looking into getting into nuclear power. They, they're they very interested in the SMRs because they don't, many of those countries don't have the grid to support large static uh, generation sources like the big reactors. So, so like little 5 megawatt reactors, 30 megawatt reactors, 80 megawatt reactors, they'll be more appropriate for a lot of those jurisdictions. Uh. Most of Europe is watching what's happening in Germany and deciding that they do not want to go in that direction. So we've got countries like Poland, Norway, Sweden, like uh, Estonia, Romania, Mm -hmm. and even countries that were kind of like had for the last few decades been kind of opposed to nuclear power like Italy and Austria, Belgium. They're starting to turn around and reconsider that they might actually want to have nuclear power as part of their power. Their future power mixes. It's so like a lot of these countries. It's all like gas and coal. Like there's very few countries on the world that have a lot of of hydropower and nuclear power available to them at this point. And that's wherever we have displaced hydrocarbons, it's always hydrogen or hydro and nuclear. Like wind and solar, they they fill a role, but at the scale that we need power, sure. I don't think that they can even come close to providing what we need unless Nuclear is part of that mix
0: I completely agree with with that last statement I mean i I just and I we talked about this before we we, we hit record i i I just talked to um, I just had a conversation with Justin Orkney at Standard power and we we did a lot of discussion in that episode about just how I mean, for a lack, I, not a technical way to put this, but like how sketchy solar is. And, you know, when you start to sprinkle in a lot of rooftop solar into a grid system, it it starts to get pretty, pretty crazy. Um, So I, I want to kind of dive into small modular reactors a little bit and maybe start with some of the, like the technical stuff on that. Like how, walk me through, how does a small modular reactor work? I know small modular refers to anything under 300 megawatts. What what do you think is going to be like the typical size and application? That's probably a really broad question because I know that that it's so dependent on who it's serving, but what do you think the the majority of the need is going to be when it comes to a small modular reactor?
1: It's looking like microgrids is going to be the name of the game going into the future because we're going to have a lot more just jurisdictions that don't want to have to be dependent upon their neighbors. We've been getting a few examples of how uh, precarious that can get at times. If if you do not have your own house in order and your own reliable power systems, it's becoming a serious thing that there are parts of America that are having blackouts or risking blackouts that haven't had that thing for, for decades or as long as they've been operating as, as far as, like recent memory it's yeah it's
0: yeah. really bizarre that
1: there's parts of america that have grids that are comparable to like third world nations that like like lebanon and venezuela it's really not an ideal situation and people are going to come very quickly to appreciate reliable power generation because as yeah. as great as like the the idea of the wind and the solar is They take up a lot of space and you run out of that good space very quickly and they're they're very disparately separated so they're coming at the grid from all kinds of different angles they like don't automatically generate at the same frequency as the grid so you have to have inverters in that mix and where you save money on power generation because yay that's great that when the the wind is free and the sun is free when it's when it's there and available the added costs get shifted onto just grid management because these poor grid managers have to figure out how that all fits together. And you could just disappear at a second. And then they've got to find somewhere else to, to spin up that power from a, like they're spinning reserves at a natural gas plant or something. Like I do not envy the jobs that, so these guys have now managing all of these wildly separated intermittent loads that, it's it's a utopian idea that sounds like it was just dreamed up by somebody that lives in a classroom and spends zero time out in the field actually managing a system like this
0: but yeah oh hundred percent i I don't know I don't know if the 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 solar and wind you know prop- yeah you know, the people that are pushing solar and wind i don't I don't think they've had any experience uh of any kind. I mean, maybe some of them have, but I don't know that they've had any grid management experience because I, the conversations I have with people that do have that experience, they they certainly do not share in the sentiment um, that wind and solar are going to be the saviors in all of this. So, so micro grids with small modular reactors, um, that's an interesting idea. That's, that's an interesting concept. I imagine cost is going to be uh, a pretty large factor. Maybe touch on like the cost of these small modular reactors and then how Bitcoin mining steps in to help alleviate some of that cost burden.
1: Yes, that is correct. Because this is a new type of reactor, that means it has to go through in the entire regulatory phase and there's a number of different reactors being proposed so each one of them is going to have its own unique regulatory licensing process they're trying their best to streamline this and improve the regulatory process to apply to the new generation of reactors because it's predominantly designed for the old fleet of reactors that's The boiled water reactors and the large pressurized water reactors so that's what they're familiar with that's what the regulatory system was configured for because it was all just uniform and lined up way back in the day so now there's a mad rush to get that configured Mm -hmm. for the new generation and it's a real chicken and egg problem because until we get at least the first of a kind units off of the ground and demonstrated they can only do so much so it's proposing like, yes, we have these safety proposals. Yes, this is what our fuel load's going to be. This is what our exclusion zones are going to look like. This is the, the amount of employees that we're going to need. And this is like the maintenance cycles, and all those various considerations they need to operate a nuclear reactor. But until it is proven and demonstrated, we can't put the final stamps on these things. But once we get to that point, because a lot of that capital is front loaded and it's going to be invested in, Lining up a work floor force, getting uh, mass production Mm -hmm. facilities all set up and configured to just the with the intention of uh, pumping these things out, similar to large aircrafts and uh, large shipping freighters. So it's going to be built like large factories, assembly line, just one after the other. But it's all about getting to that first of a kind in order to get the momentum on that. And then the next name of the game is to make sure that there are enough customers. To have a market for these reactors, so the expectation now is that they're going to try like two reactors from each SMR category. From the micro, there's there's um, the Westinghouse Vinci is going to be like one two megawatts, like a very tiny reactor. It'll be good for for like hospitals and small like single building applications that that will need stable. Base load power no matter what the circumstances are. And then up to like larger ones, like the UltraSafe Nuclear um companies, five megawatt reactor that's also going to have be able to operate at high heat temperatures. And that's designed predominantly to go up to remote communities that only need like a, as much as like fifty to sixty megawatts max, because they'll they can build them in multi, multiples of, of of like four, eight, twelve, and use um they can share infrastructure amongst themselves like administrative buildings and and certain other um, facilities beyond the reactor that can be shared and just lower the costs in that way but uh yeah it's making sure that there's a market for all these reactors so Mm -hmm. that we can build as many as we can because then there's going to be a few others that are for larger grids like a province like saskatchewan doesn't need a gigawatt reactor they would be better served with like two 2 or 3 300 megawatt reactors spread around the province and it's it's about finding the right size for the application while trying to build as many of them as possible so they don't want to al- allow too many to get over that first kind like we we want to test as many as we can but we also don't want to commit to too many and spread ourselves too thin we want to like historically we've we picked one reactor design we went with it and we built a lot of those. We built the BWRs and the PWRs and that was predominantly the entire global reactor fleet with a few experimental reactors here and there and research reactors. Uh, but now we want to choose about six reactors, seven, maybe eight if we're lucky, and just build as many as we possibly can and deploy them wherever we can, export them to countries that are willing yeah. to do it too. And just the hope is that you get people out of poverty and... That is one of the major drivers to reduce climate change, because from what I understand from a lot of reading on this topic, poor people aren't as much concerned with climate change when they're just trying to survive until tomorrow. They would, they will cook their food with whatever is available, whether it's wood or dung or coal. They really don't care what us privileged Westerners think, and they would much better off, much be much happier to have stable, reliable power where they can cook at the same like standards that we do here in west in the western world where we kind of take it for granted especially when you see and hear how there's still billions of people living on this planet that uh still have to uh go and collect their water from down the river and heat it up on a wood stove and then their children suffer from large significant lung problems from inhaling wood smoke constantly it's uh yeah it's a rough world out there that uh
0: We don't get the privilege of seeing. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Support for this episode comes from Sunnyside Digital. Are you ready for the next Bitcoin bull run? Get ahead of the game by building out your Bitcoin mining infrastructure now. Sunnyside Digital is your one-stop shop for everything Bitcoin mining, from transformers and switchgear to racks and miners. With a white glove approach to understanding your needs, they'll provide you with the hardware you need at the most competitive pricing possible. Say goodbye to your sourcing headaches and say hello to Sunnyside Digital. Contact their sales team today at sunnysideinc.ca or via email at sales at sunnysideinc.ca. All right. Now back to the show. Yeah. And that then, so the, the assumption in there then is that bring a small modular reactor to one of these communities and have Bitcoin mining taking up 10% of the, the capacity that the town doesn't technically have a need for at that point in time. And then that's going to help overcome the cost burden to bring that small modular reactor. There is, is that the correct assumption? That's, to, that's to, essentially I yeah. how to think I, about if that. If anybody,
1: if you or anybody, in your audience is familiar with what Gridless is already doing down there, like they're doing it at very small scale, like a few, few kilowatts, like maybe a megawatt or two. That is essentially the model. Like, wherever we want to do it in the world you 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 match your power generation to your community but you always want to have some excess available because there's always going to be fluctuation but not every load that you can that fits in that margin is going to be able to soak it up perfectly until bitcoin mining i have gone as deep down this rabbit hole as i can and like There's industrial processes that you can use, but you can only shut them off for so long um, and so fast. Uh, You can load follow with various uh, um, power sources. like Nuclear can load follow, but it doesn't like to because it puts stress on the core and the turbines. That's really unnecessary. And it's also an economic loss. Natural gas plants can spin up really quickly, but they run at poor like emission standards if they're constantly ramping up and down they would be much better served to just stay at a constant load um there's uh like the smart home programs are another thing that they are proposing where at for now it's an opt-in thing where you can allow your local grid to control your thermostat if the demand is there for the rest of the grid but that people are only going to tolerate that so much like if you start putting people into a tough situation in their their home uh, heating and cooling situation for a day like okay that's fine and two days starts to starts to wear people thin like by the time you start getting in three or four days people are fed up and they really are not down with this program anymore so i think they would just rather have the grid have more power than it needs ever and knowing that there is a load attached to it that will always be able to shut off immediately at the first of the stack whenever that power is needed wherever wherever whenever and it's it's just the perfect load like for off-grid on-grid at substations i've tried to see if i can falsify these ideas in a way that's like oh it doesn't work but like I don't know, once once you see it, it's it's hard to not see how perfect of a strategy this is. Like even f- just the level of flexibility that the Bitcoin miners offer, even if they weren't mining Bitcoin with it and not profiting off of Bitcoin, just that service alone, it improves power generation, especially the large baseload, in, in an infinite amount of way, just better than it has been. It's Problem that's been tried, trying to be solved since power generation began.
0: You know, I'm actually kind of curious about that particular concept. Is like, I mean, and this this is absurd. I, I think everyone who has listened to this show for any period of time, even if you this is the first episode you pick up, I think you, you probably know that my bias is towards Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, but what happens if it all goes away and you have this infrastructure in place? I, I mean, is the, the, the computational like ability of these machines, even if there is no Bitcoin to be able to run and kind of disperse that heat. I mean, that, that's still a big benefit to excess capacity, right?
1: Yeah. That's essentially what they do now. If they have to just dump a large load, they will just dump it into like a capacitor or some sort of just large static resistor that they that will just turn that electricity into heat. So, like Bitcoin miners just play that role. But now we have that added game theory where it can actually be profitable to waste your electricity. So it changes the power generation dynamic on its head because now you can intentionally build seen amounts of surplus like you can predict that this community or this city is going to have a future demand three four times more than it has today and you can build it now without the risk that any of it becomes stranded like it just flips everything on its head and it like i only started to become knowledgeable about this since learning about bitcoin mining it was just it just it just clicked and then i went down and learn all this stuff everybody i talk to tells yeah. me and explains to me all of the same problems and, and and they're all solved by this just silly computer guessing game that we found uh,
0: yeah yeah it's it's pretty incredible i and i'm i'm so excited to see like where it's all gonna go i think you know the other answer to that is okay bitcoin just goes away it just goes to zero well I honestly think that the traditional data center space is paying more attention to the activities of Bitcoin mining than people let on. And I think that there would be a really, you know, subs you know, there would be a real chance that traditional data center spaces would step in to fill the rack space, you know, for for large co-located Bitcoin mining facilities. Again, this is like some bizarro world where Bitcoin goes to zero and, and mining has you know no purpose or use. I, I honestly think that the traditional data center space could step in and figure that out and make that work too. So yeah, there, there's a lot there. Yeah,
1: to a degree, because I, I, a lot of the data centers require like, like five nines uptime where they don't like to be shut down. But I think with some new of these distributed computing processes like AI will have more of a flexible load type uh, profile to them that can act similar to Bitcoin mining. So I think even, yeah, like Bitcoin mining, I I don't think Bitcoin's going away at this point. I think we crossed that Rubicon years ago. I think the block size worse kind of settled that and we're just figuring out what to build next. It's just, we found the foundation that can't be disrupted. And now, it's just figuring out how to take advantage of it. And I see pushing our power generation towards absolute limits as what we do with it. It is funny getting into conversations and arguments with people on Twitter that, are, that say that Bitcoin wastes energy. But I try to, to explain to them that you have to completely flip that entire narrative and framework just in in the opposite direction and just think like we need reliable power loads to build the power and there is no realistic good future scenario for humanity that we are not generating and consuming way more power than we are today so I I just I see it as the catalyst that we've been looking for it's 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 every it fits all of the perfect properties that a large base load generator that doesn't like to sh- move anywhere from full capacity from like it's flexible it can be scaled to just match that it just it fits in that margin right at the edge of supply and demand it doesn't matter how big it is it could be it could be a few kilowatts it could be a few megawatts it could have like a, a large variance a small variance but even like i've had it argued with me that like oh well the bitcoin miners want to stay up all the time it's like well The new ones do but we can create like these strange barbell formats where where we've got some of the load is the brand new ones and they stay on as much as possible and they only turn off when we get to extreme scenarios but then we've got a bunch of old miners that just kind of sit there and they just they just go up and down and up and down up and down and they they just they just fill that margin whatever we need we can create so many different scenarios that can be perfectly matched to any supply and demand profile and either grow with the community or or shrink as the community grows, or they, they sit there and act as as a load that you as if the community grows into its power, instead of selling miners, you can add more power generation. I don't know how many different ways it's going to play out, but I want to see the game theory play out and just everybody test as many ideas as we possibly can. Just there's so many different ways to be configured. This technology is going to be used in ways that we can't even conceive of today. We're going to be generating so much power, and Bitcoin is still going to be a fraction of what all of humanity uses.
0: I think um, that that's the most exciting part is that you know we can't even wrap our heads around what this is all going to actually look like. And uh, again, I I share in the sentiment that this is all going in the right direction if we can add this type of a, a load to this type of generation i i think it's limitless and so it's gonna be really cool to see what comes out of it um you mentioned just just now you you mentioned like a barbell you called it a barbell scenario where you've got old miners and new miners new miners want to be up all the time old miners you know can can kind of ride out the 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 fluctuations in the you know the basically the curtailment um i i do think that one of the things that people say is like well what if bitcoin mining and bitcoin is so lucrative and this is kind of game theory and this is a little bit speculative but you know bitcoin gets so lucrative that they don't want to turn off so maybe explain that that barbell type you know scenario with new and old miners kind of acting differently. What what is that? I've never heard that before. Well,
1: like the way I see it, it would set different tiers. Like um many people paying attention to the Bitcoin mining space today would be see what's going on in Texas right now. They're going through a heat wave so they're using a lot of their power. So basically their entire Bitcoin mining fleet is off. And the way what prompts them to turn off is when the the uh the grid's electricity price at the spot market exceeds their break even point. That's roughly when they they will start turning down. We can have different tiers of that, where as soon as it goes over four cents, that's when your S9s go down, and then it then it gets up to like eight, nine cents, and then you start losing another tier of of miners, and then it goes up to 14 cents. And like and then that would just it would have just different levels where the grid would know that they have that available capacity at those different tiers and they would be able to plan and strategize a lot better for extreme scenarios like what Texas is going through right now. Um, I do get that if Bitcoin mining does become like ridiculously lucrative, if we have another like black swan scenario, like China kicks everyone out and we're in the middle of a bull market and hash price is like $400 a petahash and something obscene like that. we we could see these scenarios where, yeah, where more miners are fighting with grid operators, but that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons they, they, they have contracts. So there would definitely be, uh, if they're signed up for demand response programs, they would be contractually mm-hmm. obligated to turn off. Or if the power generation, um, if they own the miners for themselves, they would have that, that judgment to like, like there would be occasions where even though it would make, economically more sense to keep the bitcoin miners running there would be a social and moral priority to make sure that the hospital has the power nobody cares about the computers when we need to keep the hospital online
0: Yeah. That's so right. it's
1: there is going to be more than an economic element to this if we do get into those scenarios and and it, i'm sure it can get tricky to navigate in some scenarios but the moral imperative is to make sure that the there are just certain customers that are always going to be served no matter what. And the Bitcoin miners are always the first ones to sacrifice their power. Even if they would be doing it at an economic loss. They would the, the value of them contributing that back to the grid, they would I'm, I'm sure they would be compensated for it. Like as we've seen, some of the miners in Texas have been making more from doing demand response or than mining Bitcoin. So that I don't think anybody Could have predicted that just a few years ago. Like ancillary services are going to be the future of Bitcoin mining, and they're going to be available as as a grid resource that is unlike anything else that has been available to grid managers. I
0: I do really hope for you know the the evolution of all of this to continue down the path of Bitcoin is is the tool, and and not um, not not like a, a a weight on the industry. So I, I am hopeful that we are going to see that because you're right. Just a couple of years ago, um, you were not hearing stories about, you know, a gigawatt plus coming offline in Texas to provide power, you know, to, to the the citizens. So I, I think we're moving in the right direction. I'm hopeful that we're going to continue moving in that direction. Uh, again, a little bit of a hypothetical question, for you, Ryan, but do you see a world in which the majority of the mining activity is owned by, you know, uh, IPPs or utility companies or, or just power generator companies in general? Like, do do you see a world where the majority of the mining comes from that, that world?
1: Well, I see it as a huge wasted opportunity if they do not catch on to this, but like, I see multiple different scenarios. I see the established Bitcoin mining companies like if if they are managing their assets and their treasury really well, that if we do get a while bull run and Bitcoin does what we expect it to do because of the most scarce asset thing network effects that they will very much likely be buying their own power infrastructure like we're kind of seeing it with a few like hydroelectric dams and like small scale like natural gas sites but it's only a matter of time before mm-hmm. one of these miners starts looking at nuclear power and wanting to have their own SMR to just deploy wherever they want and build a Bitcoin mining facility. And then, and then like use that as the seed to build a city around or in a vice versa, just all of the people, the power generators and the grid management, and they will be able to use this technology to plug up all their holes. Like they have the opportunity at, doesn't seem like it's really that complicated for industries of with their level of expertise that they have access to to figure it out for themselves or there might end up being just people from the mining space that just act as consultants to just go and talk with power generation companies and help them develop strategies and configure their own minds and then just yeah then just walk away and it's yours here's here's the keys and just operate this Bitcoin mine as you see fit. There's the software, There's the different variables that you can put into it to uh, act as signals to, for it to go up and down as your good changes. Like the expertise and the capabilities are there and it's it's only gonna grow as this industry grows and it's just going to get more and more entwined with the energy infrastructure. And we're, just, we're gonna see everything in between joint ventures, yeah, miners, miners buying yeah. power, power buying miners, and both of them working together to various degrees. It's, it's gonna be a wild, wild world in this Bitcoin mining space and I'm all for it. And I hope to see as many different business models as possible. I hope to see, like, you don't like to see failure, but that's how capitalism moves forward and people learn from mistakes. We see what happened with Core Scientific last year, it took about too much debt, it right. became a mess. Yeah. And then everyone kind of learns like, okay, like things were exciting some of us got too excited we got bumped the brakes a little bit and then you look at a company like CleanSpark, and they were just like we're just going to build slowly we're going to focus on infrastructure we're going to focus on community engagement and then when we get the opportunities then we'll start plugging in our ASICs. and they seem to be doing amazing what they're doing in georgia and just growing very steady at a pace that's not going to put them in any risky uh, debt obligations as some of the other companies got into, and then there was also the jurisdictional arbitrage, which I'm sure yeah. everyone's aware of what happened to Compass Mining when they got eager to set up a very, very lucrative cost energy uh, project in somewhere out in Siberia, but then got pulled when uh, Russia went a little, got a little excited with Ukraine. So,
0: absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you, you're spot on in the differences of, of growth strategies to clean spark is, is definitely, you know, one of those mining companies that a little bit sleepy, but you know, that, that, that approach has paid off in, in gigantic ways. I mean, they're, they're absolutely crushing it right now. It's, it's been fun to watch. Um, So Ryan, just to, to stay cognizant of the time here, um, for, for the audience, it's a a Friday afternoon at about a happy hour time. It's, it's later for Ryan, uh, than it is for myself. So just to, to keep a tab on the time here and be respectful of that. One of the, the last questions I wanted to ask you, Ryan is if you were to be sitting at a table at another happy hour and, somebody looked at you and said, well, I just, I just don't get it. I just don't, you know, I thought wind and solar was, was what was going to save, you know, you know, uh, all of the, the energy problems. What are you talking about? What, what would you say to them if you were sitting across the table from someone at a happy hour that just didn't quite get it? Are are there resources you'd point them to, or, or maybe there's like a, just like a concise couple of things you would say to him. I'd be curious to, to to hear what you have to say.
1: Well, I would obviously first stress that we need to throw every available option uh, we have on the table and make it work to the best of our ability because we have a very well-established nuclear power industry, Canada, U.S., and abroad, and we should be taking advantage of that skills and capability because if we don't, we are going to lose it as we've seen that it's... It's been a tough slog getting those Bogle reactors up and standing and generating power because we didn't have the workforce available. We didn't have the supply chain available because the United States hasn't built nuclear reactors in a while because we've been focused on other technologies. And as much as wind and solar are great, like they have trade-offs that are just as concerning as as many people believe nuclear power to have. They, from what I From my reading and talking to these people, they don't often look outside of the first order effects of when the wind is blowing and the solar panel is out in the field and sun shining, we're generating zero, basically free electricity. But they don't tend to look at all of the extended costs of the added complexity and the material requirements and the space requirements. And in many many scenarios, like, yeah, wind and solar can... Fly very well but it is limited in how much you can because it does reach a, a uh, diminishing returns after a while because they will start to cannibalize each other's loads and that's what starts to create the duck curve and then that requires extra technology to come in and fill that gap such as batteries and or something like pumped hydro which is not always feasible because that's geographically limited and batteries have their own supply chain issues as to where that material comes from. It's everything has a long list of trade-offs and the whole spectrum needs to be examined and basically have to make the best of what we have. And like the, what I really like the most about nuclear power is that it does, it does require a highly intelligent workforce. It requires very, highly motivated individuals that that know what they want to do for a career. They want to be part of this technology. Like it, it takes a unique person to really want to really strongly dedicate their life to an industry like nuclear power. And it's the type of industry that you can, like where we've built nuclear power plants, they have employed multiple generations of families. You go and like talk to people where a reactor was built in the 60s or 70s, they'll be like, yeah, like my, my grandfather worked here, my grandpa, my father worked here, my mom worked here. Like they'll have their half of their extended family tree has worked in nuclear power if they're from like the local vicinities. It's, they're, they care about their communities and the people in the communities care about them because they understand the value that it provides to have that large abundant reliable source of power that's there when they need it and a lot of people take it for granted because you we've had reliable power yeah. grids for a long time and now we're starting to experience some precarious situations where people are starting to to put reliability back up to the top of the list where it had kind of been replaced by non-emitting and like i'm all for having the low emissions in our power grid but reliably reliability has to be at the top of that list and we can't do that without a firm large base load and i firmly believe that nuclear power is that base load that we need if we want to stop using hydrocarbons for power and heat generation and then because yeah, they'll they can be more valuably served for other markets like natural gas is just methane and it can be combined with with, uh, with hydrogen production to create other more complex hydrocarbons that we can use for synthetic fuels so that we can create like aviation fuels or synthetic diesel in various ways. Like we have that technology is available, but it requires a lot of power, which in order to get a lot of power, we need something like nuclear power. But in order to get a lot of nuclear power to have it available to develop these technologies, we need a catalyst to get nuclear power to get there. And then that's where I believe Bitcoin mining comes.
0: Yeah, that that's, that, that's fantastic. I, and I, I appreciate that. Cause I, I think, you know, some of those conversations happen. So it's, you know, for, for the people listening that, that have people in their lives that, you know, again, are like, well, I thought, you know, wind and solar was the, the, the clean fix to this. It, it's good to hear that perspective. So thank you, Ryan. Um, I like to leave room at the end of the show for my guests to to be able to give a handoff. I want the, the followers, you know, the listeners, the audience to be able to find you and reach out to you and get in touch with you. If, if that's what you, you would like as well. So, you know, please give, give the audience how they can get in touch with you and, and maybe where they can find you.
1: Yeah. That sounds good. Thanks, Ben. Um, Yeah. On Twitter, I go by my name is uh, Nuclear Bitcoiner, and that's also on Noster, and I also have the Orange Pill app. If for anybody that's using that, that's pretty much my primary social medias that I use these days. And yeah, you'll just find me on Twitter mostly. If you want to send me a DM, you can often get a hold of me. If you disagree with me, I, I'm always up for arguing about the merits of nuclear power versus the alternative, and same about Bitcoin because I don't know. I just keep feeding the algorithm and it feeds me. And so, you know, we have a, we have a love hate relationship. I just kind of go with it. And some days, some days you just have to turn it off. Cause I, I,
0: I very much so do know that you, you, do, you certainly need to unplug, uh, from, from the social media world. Um, Ryan, this was an absolutely fantastic conversation. We'll, We'll most certainly have to figure out how to get you back down to Minneapolis, and when we can figure that out, we'll, we'll do a an in person episode as well. A um, little bit less lag, a little bit you know more personal because we'll, we'll we'll actually be there in the flesh. I really appreciate this, Ryan. Thank you, and you take care. Yeah,
1: that was awesome. Thanks, man. Looking forward to talking to you again.